Hey everyone, this is Benjamin Norton and this is Multipolarista. Today we are talking about the Winter Olympics and the new Cold War. And to discuss this, I have the perfect guest, friend of the show, Carl Ja, one of my favorite podcasters, my favorite actual China expert, because there's so many fake China experts in the media who don't speak Mandarin, who can't tell you any provinces outside of like, you know, Beijing and uh, and maybe Xinjiang because they know that like it's that's the evil bad place. So I, I love always have love to have Carl on because he he just always blows me away with his incredible knowledge, not only of modern China, but of like Chinese history. And you can see and on the screen behind him, his podcast Silk and Steel. I've learned so much from about the history of China, the culture of China. So how are you doing, Carl? How is you're in Bali, Indonesia, right? Yes, I am. Uh, thank you for inviting me on the show, by the way. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you. And I mean, let's just go ahead and get started here. There's a lot to say about the Winter Olympics. The first thing I think we could we could discuss is this diplomatic boycott. We've seen multiple Western governments have said, well, we're going to participate because we we can't just not participate and lose, even though they are losing. And so they say, instead of not participating, we're going to have a diplomatic boycott, which means that our politicians are not going to attend the Winter Olympics, which is funny because the Chinese government said, well, you all weren't even invited anyway. So it's like <laughs> it's like it's like a kid who wasn't invited to a party and they're like, well, I'm not going to your party. And they're like, well, I didn't invite you to your party. What are you talking about? So I didn't invite you to my party. What are you talking about? So what do you th what do you think of this this whole diplomatic boycott and especially the fact that china responded also by inviting vladimir putin the president yeah. of russia who attended the the inauguration ceremony and there, that was a big and the western media that was like the authoritarian axis of china and russia have united and western so-called democracies weren't invited <laughs> i mean this is so stupid because um, on one hand, they didn't want to do a full boycott uh, because they know the, the reason for the boycott is bogus. So they still, because NBC has the rights to the co copyrights to Olympics, they still want to make money from the Winter Olympics. So they're, of course, they're not going to boycott it. Uh, at the same time, they have to make a grandstanding, you know, to the public that, you know, U.S. really care about human rights in china of course they don't care about human rights in china if they really think there's a genocide going on they should just boycott it straight out i mean like i'm talking they should like boycott economic sanction the full works but no 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 they they, they they know it's bullshit but at the same time they have to keep the appearances so they do this really lame diplomatic boycott like as you mentioned these guys are not invited and and on top of that who watches olympics for government officials nobody cares <laughs> nobody cares if Biden goes to Olympics or not I mean or like you know whoever the the Anthony Blinken I mean Anthony Blinken is like the least charismatic U.S. official ever if you replace him with an AI bot nobody will, will <laughs> notice the difference I mean like why would anybody tune in to watch Tony Blinken attending say like the the Olympics so this is that this is pretty dumb and uh, on top of that, you know, like, of course, China is going to invite, uh, you know, China is inviting Russia because 
because the U.S. policy at this current moment is actually driving China and and Russia together. This has been the case since uh, actually since the collapse of the Soviet Union, because U.S. has been trying to expand NATO right up to the Russian border, um, breaking their promises. Back, by the way, to to Gorbachev, it's like the the late Soviet leader were so naive about the the, the Western intentions, and it was a rude awakening. It took the took the Russians a while to realize that the West is not their friends, and and they. And then currently, you know, with the so-called so-called uh, totally made-up Ukraine crisis and the freak out about about Taiwan, which people in like people people in China and people in Russia, now most people don't think there's gonna like no nobody is saying you know this Russia in in nobody in Russia is expecting Russia is gonna invade Ukraine or nobody in mainland China is expecting. You know, uh, PLA will cross the Taiwan Strait to <laughs> take Taiwan anytime soon. This is all hyped up by U.S. Pentagon-sponsored media channels uh, to just to justify the increasing military budget. You know, like the Biden just approved, uh, like recently, what what was a mil- new military budget? Seven hundred, I think it was seven hundred thirty million dollars. Seven hundred sixty-eight. I mean, seven hundred sixty-eight yeah. billion dollars. I mean, and those are just every year moving toward one trillion. <laughs> those are just the ones out on the books. I mean, yep. if you add everything together, it's easily over a trillion dollars. Well, but the that's... Pentagon has only ever done one audit and it failed the audit. And then the Pentagon said, well, we expected to fail the audit. So that's not surprising. And they have trillions of dollars of unaccounted money off the books. And and what they do with that money, you know, they 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 funnel into like the bloated programs on like F thirty five. They just they just had an F thirty five crash into South China Sea, and China hasn't fired that shot. Like China hasn't done anything, and F thirty five is falling out of the sky. I, I don't well, know if you saw the recent well, news. Okay, Carl, Carl, I don't know. Did you did you see this graph? We have to be really afraid. Look at this graph. China's military spending has risen steadily over the past decade. <laughs> did you see this? I I couldn't no, believe I this when I saw this. And no. at the bottom of the graph, you see China slightly increasing. Meanwhile, the U.S. is like way up in the stratosphere. It's this propaganda is so crazy. Yeah, I mean, like this. I mean, it's good. It's good. Great uh, Griff. It, it helps them for all these uh, think tankers and their their hanger ons to to buy like large mech mansions in Virginia, you know, Maryland. I mean, it, it, I, good 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 for them. But it's like. You know, people, U.S. always taught itself as like, you know, the symbol of democracy. And and but if you look at U.S. foreign policy, how much how much public input is there? There's none. I mean, I think there was an article. I I wish I can pull it up. They actually point out that the U.S. public have almost zero input into the U.S. foreign policy. I mean, yeah, it was a, a Princeton study. I'll get it up. Okay. Yeah, I, I just I remember that I had that impression that it was just like we have no say when you know U.S. is going all over the world, spending crazy amount of money, dropping bombs on weddings and funerals, and and we pride ourselves somehow as a democracy. Yeah, yeah of all places, is. here's here's the BBC study: U.S. is an oligarchy, not a democracy. 
And it was a study published by a Princeton University professor and Northwestern University professor. So it just said very explicitly that, that people in the United States don't have control over their government, that only rich people do. It's yeah. not in any way a democracy. And actually what's interesting is, Carl, I don't know if you saw this, this joint statement that was published by the Chinese and Russian ambassadors to the United States in November. They published an incredible joint statement that was a response to the U.S. Summit for Democracy, if you remember that joke. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. In, in, their, in their article, which I'll get up, China had a very interesting passage about how it is a, a vibrant socialist democracy. And they, they wrote that in the U.S., there's no real democracy. People are just awakened every few years to go and vote, and then they go back into hibernation. <laughs> no, this it was is awesome. This yeah, and I actually, actually, I remember somebody actually, I forgot who it was, somebody posted on Twitter saying, well, you know, which China, you know, look at the U.S. If China had 800,000 people die from the from COVID, would it remain a stable country? Uh, like he was posting that as like a positive asset of United States system. Oh that, my you know, god! We can we can let eight hundred thousand people die from COVID and still be a stable, have a stable political system. But like we're, we're so good at killing our people, they don't even bat an eye when their neighbors and family members are dying. Exactly. Here, here's the here's this article, Carl. It was incredible. It was published in the National Interest, which is kind of like this foreign policy realist publication in the U.S. and published in November, Russian and Chinese ambassadors respecting people's democratic rights. And it was their response to the BS Summit for Democracy, which featured a bunch of right-wing authoritarian regimes and Taiwan, the, the province of China. But here, this is, this is what they wrote, which is pretty incredible. They say democracy is about whether the people have the right to govern their country, whether their needs are met, and whether they have a sense of fulfillment and happiness. If the people are only awakened when casting their votes and sent back to hibernation when the voting is over, if they are served with sweet-sounding slogans in campaigns but have no say after the election, if they are wooed during canvassing but left out in the cold after that, this is not a genuine democracy. And you can tell from the language, this is very much, this is obviously written by the Chinese diplomat. Like th this, yeah. this language is very Chinese. The Russian diplomats have very different rhetoric, but mm -hmm. this is incredible. And they also talk about their socialist democracy right here. What China has in it is an extensive whole process socialist democracy. It reflects the people's will, suits the country's realities and enjoys strong support from the people. So. I mean, this is the most assertive I've ever seen China t when it comes to responding to this BS that China is not democratic and it's authoritarian. They're like, no, we're more democratic than you guys are. <laughs> At this point, it's true. I mean, I think Eric Lee well, was once uh, interview. He, he gave up the gave up this famous speech. He said, in in Chi in U.S., you can change the p government, but you cannot change the policy. <laughs> in yeah. China, you cannot change the ruling party. But you can change the policy. Yeah. So that that's that's a difference, and people don't realize it because we have been ingrained with propaganda since since our birth in the United States. We we're constantly bombarded by propaganda. We don't even realize, uh, you know, we can't even tell the propaganda from facts anymore. And that that's what happened with the Winter Olympics. It's it's now now it's uh, I mean like I think now we're really in the in the full 
Cold War two Cold War 2.0 mode because you if you read the 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 China coverage in in the Winter Olympics, it, it's the it's I mean it's insane it's pretty insane that you know you I just had saw the the, the Vice um it's insane and, and ridiculous at the same time I just saw um a Vice Vice actually had a uh print out a whole article about how. Um, the, the Japanese uh, figure skater Yuzuro Hanyu is so popular, and she and and he loves Winnie the Pooh. And this could this could get awkward in Beijing. This is a oh so dumb. This, this is a headline article, and and this is this is the guy that um, and then today actually from Wall Street Journal uh, journalist of all people actually posted a, a tweet. About Yuzura Hanyu's Chinese fans armed with banners and Winnie the Pooh dolls waiting outside the skating venue here in Beijing, posted along with pictures. But even underneath this, like, irrefutable proof, you have someone who says, uh, who, a commenter says, Oh, the brave lot, the CCP China don't have a sense of humor about Winnie the Pooh. Like, even presenting with evidence, people still in their mind <laughs> still think oh this is some kind of brave act of protest <laughs> against xi jinping well, carl the- i think i think we even talked about this before this is this is like this western media myth that winnie the pooh is like illegal in communist <laughs> china and they'll like throw you in a gulag if you post <laughs> winnie the pooh it's so stupid yeah you just go to disneyland shanghai disneyland you can exactly. buy, buy winnie the pooh anywhere oh man well well carl i'm glad you you mentioned that this is really cold war 2.0 i wanted to point out they're probably the most respected newspaper in britain is the financial times the guardian is the biggest but everyone knows it's a rag that it's just it's just the mouthpiece of the british intelligence establishment intelligence agencies probably probably the most respected newspaper is the financial times and usually they're not they're usually kind of a little more a little less unhinged like usually the guardian is full on cold war and usually the financial times is a little slightly less unhinged but look at this insane article they have the beijing 2022 panda or whatever it is and then this is the headline beijing winter olympics the new front line in the u.s china cold war they openly say it they openly say that this is a new cold war and that the, the Olympics are a front line. And then specifically, they talk about Uyghur Muslims. And of course, this was one of the controversies at the beginning in the, in the opening ceremony of the Olympics. China had a, a Uyghur athlete, although they, the Western corporate media coverage was constantly saying like, Chinese athlete with Uyghur name lights torch. And like, and like Chinese athlete like in Uyghur clothing, lights torch. Like, like they refused to acknowledge that this athlete could be Uyghur. They said like Uyghur name, Uyghur clothes, but we're not we're not sure if they're actually Uyghur. Oh, and and they also made a big deal. There was a headline that says, "Oh, the Uyghur athlete disappeared after her after her competition after finishing like forty sixth place." It, I'm like, okay, well, what do you expect her to do? She she just competed in her event. <laughs> I mean, like, 
it's like she can't go home to her family it's and there was actually a clip of her family you know like her 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 mother and her aunties cheering for her and when that clip was being shared on twitter social media the western media were questioning so like they're like where where uh, people are questioning like where are all the men it's almost like okay <laughs> like women cannot have a party by themselves you know Uyghur women just cannot have like a, a women only party that's that's not allowed it's ridiculous. Yeah, if if they have a party with men, then they're violating. Then China, the Communist Party of China, is forcing Uyghur Muslims to violate traditional Muslim <laughs> norms. Yeah. And if they don't have men, then they're then they're also being oppressed by the Chinese Communists to not. I mean, whatever. Like, here's this article in the Daily Mail, a, bra, a rag, a tabloid in Britain that supported the Nazis in the 1930s and still supports Ukrainian Nazis today. They say Uyghur skier 20 who became face of China's Winter Olympics and carried the Olympic torch, disappears after finishing 43rd. It's like, what do they expect her to do? Be on every single TV show being like, yeah, I I, I was in 43rd place. You should like, what? It's so dumb. But it just shows the degree of the, of the propaganda. No matter what China does, if it yep. builds fast trains, it's attacked for not having slow trains, literally. If it doesn't have fast trains, it's attacked for having slow trains. Whatever China does, the media attacks it because that's the yep. goal is just to demonize China. It's not to inform people. And there's um uh so there's a very obvious example is uh, uh someone took the picture of the the big air event the 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 the, the, the ski track in China and because of the with the background of the the cooling towers and they 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 posted oh this is such a dystopia you know look, look at china is is building uh, olympic e events in this uh you know industrial wasteland right and they took a pic like a like a pan out picture of the whole place but they apply some kind of cn filter to make it really dark and brown <laughs> and 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 it turns out the the venue sogang was um that that area was like a heritage site it was like uh, before this became an olympic venue it, uh, it was uh, the site of a hundred year old uh, a steel plant a steel mill uh, that was uh you know first built in 1919 and it was shut down in 2008 beijing summer olympics because they wanted to china wanted to clear up the pollution and so they shut down the plant uh, decommissioned it but then at, at the same time because it's such a heritage site it has such a long hundred year old history so they want to preserve the the architectural heritage so they they contacted some italian design firm to turn this whole place into like an urban renewal project and 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 building olympics racetrack there was kind of part of that project trying to rehabilitate the, that space and and people i saw people beijing residents posting picture of this place in spring and summer it's actually a very green place and and even for people who have been watching the olympics you will notice that the, the sky was very clear you know like they obviously doctored the photo to make it so very gray and depressing and so they can Post this as example of Chinese dystopia, you know. Yeah, and and Carl, let, let's talk about the. There have been some controversies with Eileen Gu. Yes. Explain who explain who this is because 
the other propaganda. So there's a few propaganda talking points we've heard. One is that China is like exploiting its ethnic minorities and using them as like tokens as if like the U.S. has never done that ever. I mean, it's so absurd, the hypocrisy. And 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 specifically, I think we should point out that in the opening ceremony, there was this beautiful moment. I'll get it up in a second where they were where a representative of I think there are 43 different nationalities in China. 56. 40 something. 56. Okay. Yeah. 56. And a representative of every different nationality was in a line and they were they were handing down the Chinese flag down the line yep. of all of the nationalities in their traditional clothing. So there, one of the propaganda lines is that China is committing genocide and that it, we, you know, it's, ex, it's exploiting, tokenizing these ethnic minorities. The other propaganda talking point, which is extremely stupid, which we'll talk about later because it's just so dumb, is that the food is bad. It's <laughs> <which is> so <laughs> stupid. And then finally, the most ridiculous propaganda, even more than that, is this idea that that ethnic well, Chinese Americans, people uh, people of Chinese descent join the Chinese team and therefore they're traitors because they abandon the great U.S. democracy and they're they're working for the evil communists, even though they're of Chinese descent. And then what's incredible about that is that they're portrayed as like weaponizing, as Yasha Levine says, like weaponizing immigrants. But what's never mentioned is like, who's this guy? Enes Kantor? Free, freedom NS concert or NS freedom concert or whatever. Like <laughs> what percentage of, of professional athletes in the U S are immigrants and, yeah. and are, of, are, are, uh, you know, racial minorities, like, like, uh, like the hypocrisy is so ridiculous as if, what, what, what do they want China's team to be only Han Chinese? Because that, that because if they had only Han Chinese athletes, then they would be attacked for having only Han Chinese. But if Han they have supremacy, <laughs> yeah, is a Han they have minorities thing. and they're called tokenizing. Yes, China can never win. And um, so the the case about Ailingu is pretty ugly. The the, the coverage in U U.S. media is pretty ugly. They're straight out rate. Uh, they're straight out traitor baiting her. So they're calling her a traitor. First of all, like step back for a second. When did U.S. declare war against China? Like, when did China become an any official enemy state? Right? Like, how? Where did did the Congress pass some resolution? I I miss that. I miss that memo. So, but right now, U.S. media is already automatically treating China as an enemy, and so you, you know you cannot play for the enemy. And and the fact, like, as you mentioned, there are plenty of athletes who change nationality to play for other countries. This is. This is, this is, I mean, I mean, many of them play for United States. Okay. That's, that's my tweet. And this is, a, this is a guy who wrote in Slate, the Olympic jerk watch, right? I, Justin I, Peters is his name. Yeah. Justin Peters. So that's actual photo of Justin Peters. I found <laughs> that he himself posted to Slate magazine. You know, he had an article about like the thousands of selfies he, he took during the pandemic, and that's one of them. So they're, they're, they're like, I, I just randomly pick one, okay? And like, there, the other, other even more unflattering photos you can you can search for yourself. So this man, a grown ass man, is basically castigating a teenager. So Eileen Gu just turned eighteen. You know, she's still a teenager, and 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 it's it's really 
it's really mind-boggling. All these grown-ass men is jumping on the case of a teenager. I think Eileen Gu herself responded very well to her haters and critics. Um, she she was asked by our Guardian journalist uh, after she won gold. And and she basically said, you know, I'm 18 year old. I'm living my best <laughs> life. You know, I don't care what other people think. I don't I don't live for other people. I don't I don't escape for other people. And she she also said that, um, you know, like uh, you know, it's obvious that that these hate my haters don't share my my morals. And 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 guess what? The you know, I don't care for these people because these people are never going to win the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and it's true Owned. it's it's yeah like it's it's uh i because okay so i i think there's a lot of dimension there's several layers to this first she has chinese heritage right and she was um you know her mother is chinese her 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 dad is some kind of white american uh but her dad was never in the picture um because she was raised by uh, her mother Oh, go ahead, go ahead, play, play that clip. That's yeah, that's her, um, that's her victory speech, and and she actually, um, actually, I found a, a somebody commented with a clip of her when she was thirteen years old. Uh, when she was thirteen years old, she said her dream was to to compete in the Beijing Olympics and to give the victory speech in Chinese. So she's wow. actually living her dreams. I mean, it's like. Yeah, so literally, here she says yeah. it's the happiest day of her life. Today is the happiest day of my life. Yeah. And her Chinese is really good, which is funny because there, there's like all of this. I think one of the main reasons that she's getting attacked so much is because she's biracial. It's because she's yes. mixed. And so what, what happens is that, that that threatens her, like, especially... Ironically, to all of these like Western liberals who claim to be like anti-racist, they have like this weird inferiority complex where they're like, well, she's part white, but she's betraying us and going back to being Chinese and she speaks Chinese well. And there's all this commentary about it's like it shows this really this inferior, not inferiority complex. It's like this weird like um this idea that she's like a, a race traitor to white people. But it's all these yes. white liberals who claim to yes. be anti-racists who are now yes. like becoming like David Duke white nationalists. <laughs> like like they feel like they have some sort of ownership over her. Like how, how she is ours. How dare she goes over to the Chinese side? I mean, like I, I read some insane commentary like, Oh, you know, U.S. is a place that give her the opportunity. You know, U.S. is a place we we train her. We you know the we financially supported her. I'm like, you're crazy. Unite. I mean, like in China and former Soviet Union, the athletes are actually supported by, by the state. We all know U.S. and they're state like superstars. Not, yeah, we all know the U.S. state did not support the athlete. I mean, her. Eileen Gu was support financially supported by her mom, right? Her her Chinese mom, who have supported her decision to compete in the Beijing Olympics, and and so like people are going all kind of like getting all twisted about her. I think one of the reasons, yeah, like you say, because she's biracial, she's she, her her Chinese heritage. There's always a kind of a, you know about the Asian Americans were always questioned about somehow like we have some dual loyalty right like like we, we always have to constantly approve ourselves that we are loyal americans 
And you know, I, I to that I I I said, you know, we don't have to I don't have to prove shit. I mean, like <laughs> being American means I don't have to prove shit to nobody. <laughs> you know, why do I have to prove that I'm a, I'm more loyal to the United States? This is bullshit, man. <laughs> why is that like a uh, and if you look at the Chinese hockey team, for example, you know Chinese hockey team actually have a whole bunch of white American players, right? And and then you know playing for China in the in the Olympics, but these guys get a free pass. You know, the, 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 all the all the media spotlight is on Eileen Gu. Why? Because they figure, okay, these white guys they could never betray us. <laughs> but, but 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 Eileen Gu, how dare she? How dare she choose China? Right? I mean, I think there's a, there's that that element too. Well, I think what's so incredible about this is how all of this is happening at the same time as Ennis Counter. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Or Who's Freedom like Counter. We'll just call it Freedom Counter. <laughs> yeah, definitely not in any way CIA. No, no yeah. way at all. And like <laughs> at the same time, this guy has become like a massive superstar, even though he he doesn't even play well. And he actually they just like he didn't even get picked recently, like in the draft. But like, but he's because he's he's so anti-China because he just supports every single U.S. foreign policy prerogative. He's become like this massive star and he has U.S. citizenship and no one ever challenged. There's no there's no discussion of that. And like it's seen as great and good because see, normalizing as a U.S. citizen is seen as like the natural, right? Like, like yes. it's seen as natural. Yes. And that's like the baseline. So if you challenge that, that scene is inherently bad because yep. it's, it's like the same way that white supremacy operates, where it's like being seen as white is neutral. Or, or white is being seen as neutral and being and being a U.S. citizen is also seen as neutral. So if yeah. you challenge and, and that's why Eileen Goose, I think, being attacked so much. One, she challenged the U.S. centric, American centric, you know, uh, narcissism, American exceptionalism, but also the white centric aspect of being like, I, yeah, I, I could be white passing, but I'm going to I'm going to side with China instead of yeah. with white supremacy. And, and like it just blows all all of these. <laughs> woke liberals minds like they suddenly just have become white supremacists and yeah. it, it it ignores the fact that all you have to do is look at any professional u.s sports team especially soccer i mean soccer is like the most international sport yes the, the u.s soccer team the french soccer team like all of those teams are extremely international they have so many immigrants and that's never challenged that's, it, actually when the u.s does it it's seen as something good because it's a yep. sign that it's anti-racist. It's a sign that it's it's a melting pot and it's open to other cultures. But if China does it, it's a sign of betrayal. Yep. And there's a there's such a like they're trying to they're trying to like figure out you know whether she gave up her U.S. citizenship. You know, like there's always like all these questions reminds me of like the kind of the Obama's birth paper. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, it's the same thing except now it's done by. By Americans on the both side of the aisle, right? Like both the both the blue and the 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 the, the red are united in condemning Eileen Gu because she abandoned the American dream. You know, the, the American dream is all all you poor immigrants come to US, become upstanding US citizens. We mold you, we shape you. And being a US citizen is like the ultimate 
ultimate end goal in itself, like like the end of history, right? But end of man is being becoming American. You know, everybody is a potential American, and once you achieve that dream, this is it. You're not supposed to go back. You're like for her, she just her very existence is a repudiation of the whole. You know, immigrant uh, American dream narrative, and and I think that you are right. That's why everybody is flipping out. Well, and Carl, let's talk about another person who's kind of related here, which is Zhu Ji. I'm I probably miss Zhu Z Zhu Yi, right? Mm-hmm. And she gave up her U.S. citizenship, so she is mm-hmm. uh, she was a U.S. citizen of Chinese yep. descent, and she also participated. And there's been this propaganda narrative because she didn't do very well. And mm-hmm. so there's this propaganda narrative that now in China, she's being attacked and demonized because she didn't do well. But you pointed out that actually this is really exaggerated. And, and then on social yeah. media, most of the comments were actually supporting her. So I first heard about this, uh, you know, because a friend in US pinged me on Facebook, say, you know, do you know anything about this? Oh, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, it's, it's possible. So I actually went down Weibo, the Chinese social media, the equivalent to Twitter, and I type her name, her name tag. There's a, like a, a super topic. And I, I look at it, most of the commentary, just like Eileen Gu here pointed out in the comments that 90% of the comments are positive. And and because yeah, there's just, a lot, Carl, I'm just going to read it for people who yeah. can't see the comment. Eileen yeah. Gu wrote on Instagram from her official Instagram account. She said, as someone who actually uses Chinese social platforms, I'm going to say right here that over 90% of comments are positive and uplifting. So she's saying that the people are supporting Zhu Yi. Yep. And, and I... And people are missing the context. There were some people attacking Zhu Yi, and this was because um, this was because uh, uh, so competing with Zhu Yi for the for the spot to compete for China it was another very popular Chinese figure skater, and she has a large fan group fan base in China. So her fans are attacking Zhu Yi for basically taking away the spot of their idol. And competing, and then now, now uh, in their eyes failing. So that that's the that's the that's a reason. It's it's kind of like uh, if you go if you go search Nathan Chen in, uh, in on Twitter. Nathan Chen is a is a, is a uh, the champion of the men's figure skating for United States. And if you search Nathan Chen in on Twitter, you will see like the comments is equally divided. You know, there's equal 50% hater versus 50% supporter. And the 50% hater is usually the fan of the Japanese skater Yuzuru Hanyu, you know, the, the lover of uh, Winnie the Pooh. So so th- th- there's the same dynamic happens in China, kind of like the, the fans of different, <laughs> like the groupies. Groupies are attacking like their, their idol's competitor. And so, but but in the end, you know, a lot of people did come out to support Zhu Yi because, uh, you know, that's that's just like I like I, I can confirm what Eileen Gu said was true because I went to Weibo myself. I, I check out the comments. Yeah. And you, you pointed out also in this tweet where she I mean, Eileen Gu is pretty badass. Like in addition yeah. to just being a good athlete, she's she's pretty cool. She she was asked about. On, I guess, is this TikTok or where is this? Uh, this is TikTok, yeah. Yeah, someone said, why China though? You grew up in San Francisco. And she responded and she said, cry about it. <laughs> She's just like, I don't I don't give a, like, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Like, 
Here's this guy, James Tony. Eileen Gu asked about criticism of her on social media. And she said, if people don't like me, that's their loss. They'll never win the Olympics. <laughs> and it's like that, that's where you you take that that video and then you put on the like the social media glasses meme, Gangster. like the sunglasses meme. That's just yeah. badass. Like you gotta respect that. She's mic drop. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, 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 I, I. That's why on on Twitter I said, okay, this account is not an Eileen Gu simp account. <laughs> I, I, I stand Eileen Gu because she's uh, for she's pretty well spoken, a very articulate for her age. You know, I don't know what I was doing eighteen. <laughs> when I was eighteen. I was playing computer games probably, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and and it's true. Like she actually stated very explicitly her reason for choosing uh, to play for China. Uh, during the Olympics, she posted uh, in, on her Instagram back in 2019, June 2019, and she said that uh, because because she wanted to build the bridge, she, she feels like uh, she can be a positive example for young girls in the country where her mom grew up, uh, like that's China, and then she feels like she could um sports is a bridge to build understanding between nations and in the end she put like heart love china love us and she specifically said i am proud of my heritage and i'm proud of american upbringing so it's not like she she wasn't even like renouncing us say like you imperialist pig dogs she was saying i love china i love us <laughs> i'm trying to build bridges and for this she's being attacked like left and right on the, on the u.s media and 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 also she also re in her interview with um south south morning uh south china morning post she also related an uh, instance during the pandemic so she because she grew up in united states uh she was born in u.s and grew up in u.s raised by her single mom so her mother brought her chinese grandmother from china to take care of her so she basically was uh, raised by her mother and grandmother but during the pandemic she went out with her chinese grandma in san francisco and and there were some crazy guy were yelling uh, like racist remarks about how how you know to her grandma about how how they brought virus to this country and she was very shocked and she posted she said yeah i was this is san francisco this is the most liberal place in United States, and yet this happens, you know, to somebody who I love very much, my grandma. You know, she the first time she felt very unsafe, and she has tons of reason to play for China. I mean, like, like, but, but the of course the media is not going to focus on that. Is the media is not going to focus on what like all these all these like um, you know Asians being 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 physically assaulted targeted in us because their appearances because their race and and you know and, and even um even the us um gym gymnast the U olympic gymnast sunisa lee she was recently attacked uh, you know people were throwing racist remarks against her in in california i mean this is I mean, how how can somebody fall Eileen Gu for for choosing the way she chose? I mean, it's but that that's not how pe I see it this way because I'm an immigrant myself. I you know I came to this country when I was thirteen. I can relate to Eileen Gu, but I guess for most of the people who brainwashed by U.S. propaganda, they don't see it that way. They just see okay, she betrayed us. 
Yeah, Carl, let's talk a bit more about the politics of the different nationalities in China, because this is we were talking about, you know, specific the prop, specifically the propaganda about Xinjiang and the Uyghurs. And we've talked about that many times. And, you know, the propaganda is absolutely preposterous. But there's other there are other nationalities, other ethnic minorities in China. And there's another really stupid narrative is this idea of cultural appropriation that there was this dumb narrative about. But so this is an article in the South China Morning Post. But yeah. here's a, a photo from the opening ceremony. And I mentioned that there was this beautiful moment in the opening ceremony where all of the different nationalities in the country were sharing the flag as they like pass down the flag and they're all in this traditional clothing. And something that, that you've been doing on Twitter, which I appreciate as you know, someone who doesn't follow Chinese language media, because if you, if you, in my experience, just following Spanish language media, if you don't speak the language, then you miss so much. Yes. And, yes. and especially I think with Chinese media, because it's also different social media and yep. anyway, so one of the things that you've been doing is kind of highlighting some of the other athletes on the Chinese Olympics team from different um, nationalities. And yep. here you have a Hanair Adak, Adake, which is a Kazakh speed skater from the, the Olympic team. So yep. again, like this idea that there's this idea that's become more and more prominent, this propaganda, ridiculous nonsense that China is fascist and China is like Han supremacist is like the stupid thing that they've been saying. And who is that that dumb journalist who like wrote this article recently about how we have to call China fascist and not just authoritarian? And and basically their argument is that the reason that you can call China fascist is because it's supposedly authoritarian in scare quotes and it's supposedly Han supremacist. But as you've been pointing out, as all of as as China honoring these nationalities points out, it's not a Han supremacist society. And, and you if you look at their rhetoric, their actual rhetoric. They they're advocating, you know, splitting China into all these uh, like mini ethno states. You know, they, they want like ethno states here, ethno states here. So they're the ones who actually want to break up China along yeah. ethnic lines into these mono ethno states. At, at the same time, they're accusing China of being a Han ethno state. It's 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 self contradictory, but you know whatever paints China as bad. And uh, uh, like what there was one. Um, you know, go back to the the, the Uyghur uh, athlete who held the torch during the opening ceremony. There, there are articles in U.S. media compare this to like the Nazi 1936 uh, Berlin Olympics, and and some somebody says, "Oh, imagine, you know, imagine if the Nazi did this." Well, guess what? I can't imagine Nazis upholding a you know like a Jewish athletes. To, to, to light the torch because the Nazi ideology is very specifically, you know, like uh, against, again, you know, no, it's specifically a, a white supremacist ideology, you know, like they would never like have an openly Jewish person holding the torch in the 1936 Ber Berlin Olympics. Uh, it's that, that, that's why I said like this kind of, uh, Saying there's a genocide in Xinjiang, this is literally, this is literally a Holocaust denial because, yeah, no, yeah, because it's, because it's Holocaust revisionism. Absolutely. I mean, he, here's an article in the Times of Israel which supports genocide in Palestine, in in the Gaza concentration camp. 
The title of this propaganda, Never Again for Uyghurs, Jews Ramping Up China Protests as Beijing Olympics Start. Citing experience of the Holocaust, Jewish groups have targeted international companies that are supporting the Winter Olympics and continue doing business in Xinjiang. So as explicit as it gets, they're saying China is the new Nazi Germany, which usually 99% of the time when on the internet, when, when anyone compares someone to Hitler and Nazi Germany, it's, it's dumb. It's like Godwin's law. But this isn't just like weirdos on social media. These are major media outlets saying that China is the new Nazi Germany. Yeah, I mean, like, I, this is this is outrageous because, you know, on, on one hand, you have very detailed records of millions of Jews and other minorities being exterminated by the Nazis, you know, in the in the and on the one hand, where are the death? Where is the mass death in Xinjiang? Right. And now, now people are backtracking. So, oh, no, 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 it's not a genocide. It's a cultural genocide. Right. And then and then would you really press them on that? Because like, wait, Uyghur language is still, still being spoken on the street, still being taught, and taught in, in schools. schools. Yeah. Taught in schools. The, all the signs are still in Uyghur. What do you mean? They go like, oh, they're commodifying the culture. They're, they're performing. They're forced to perform their Uyghur culture for the Han tourists. I'm like, OK, OK. So so we went from like genocide to like kitschy tourism i mean you guys are crazy you're calling this nazi germany like Me meanwhile here is an article in foreign policy the elite establishment voice of the yeah. of the u.s foreign policy bipartisan status quo uh, a, a notorious vehicle for genocide denial right here's their this is their headline State Department lawyers conclude insufficient evidence to prove genocide in China. So even the U.S. government's, the U.S. State Department's own lawyers, this is from February 2021, the U.S. State Department's own lawyers admit that there's no evidence of genocide. But no, but here, here's here's an article in in the Forward, which is a, another rag. The Beijing Olympics looks a lot like Nazi Germany's. I mean, it's incredible. Like. This, this is the insane, unhinged propaganda we're talking about. It's been stupid, but it's got, it's literally at the level now. They've crossed the Rubicon, they've jumped the shark, and now it's okay in mainstream media to say that China equals Nazism. Yeah, I mean, this is all preparing the population for war, basically. You know, they're, 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 they're preparing the U.S. public to to accept that China is the enemy. You know, like, even despite the fact that we... You know, I miss the memo where we declare war on China, but they're they're preparing people mentally to 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 think of China as the other, the ultimate enemy of the U.S. U.S. state and U.S. empire, and and like this is how somehow China became an existential threat to American way of life. You know, I I don't know how that happened, but that's how that's what they're going with it. Yeah, it's it's pretty scary. It's it's really frustrating. So let, let's talk a little bit more about another point that's really dumb, but but we should at least acknowledge it, which is this propaganda also that the food at the Chinese Olympics is like really bad. I just want to we should just laugh at this. They don't even really spend much a lot of time on it. But there's been so much propaganda saying that like China is bad because the food is apparently bad at the Winter Olympics. And you made fun of some of these Western journalists in China who are in China, but they don't speak Chinese. And like they were, there's this thing about like miso soup 
And there's all this other propaganda where apparently people are claiming that like the food is bad and therefore that China is bad because it supposedly served bad food. I, I think they're really running out of things to find pick faults with China, right? Like like there was before this, there was a, a, a I think Reuters, a, a journalist, uh, she wrote a, a whole thing about how it was a, a total dystopia when she went to get a cocktail and the server was wearing the whole hazmat suit. And so I'm like, no, no, no. Dystopia is is to get COVID with your cocktail and think that's normal, right? Yeah. I mean, like, like this. 900,000 people dying in the US and then the government just saying, ah, no, no more mandates, nothing, nothing happening. We can just go on normal. Nothing's going on as people are dying. Like that's yeah. not dystopian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that, that she, she, like these are a bunch of spoiled journalists who get like a full expense pay trip, right? And they're they're complaining like uh, high school students about their school lunch, basically. <laughs> and and like they're, they're complaining about say the oh the Western section of the food. Uh, like, why why don't you just try Chinese food? <laughs> they're they're pl uh, complaining about the uh, the latest complaint was oh the the the, the Beijing Olympics uh, village. They they only they can't do the medium rare steak because of the COVID because they they wanted to make sure it's well done because there's a COVID policy. So instead they get the well done steak and 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 then and I catch up with it. I'm mean, like maybe some some people commented maybe they're just cooking it to Donald Trump's standards, you know, <laughs> while cook steak with ketchup. But really these are the things they they if they're these are the things they're complaining about these are cnn journalists uh new york times journalists they're really running out of things to find fault with olympics you know like they're really try reaching now yeah and it also shows that i think a lot of them really don't actually believe that china is nazi germany because if they truly believe that china was committing genocide it's the new nazi germany why would they be complaining so much about the food like that, that, that's like being in, if they truly believe that being in Beijing now is like being in Berlin in the 1930s. So we're supposed to believe that they're, that if they were in Berlin in the 1930s, they would spend 80% of their time complaining about this, the Wiener schnitzel being burnt. Like, I mean, it's just so absurd. And, it, yeah. and finally, Carl, I want to address this. I'm going to go back to this article that I mentioned in the financial times. And I don't know if you've been following this debate in the U.S. and the Congress over the Competes Act. Have you heard of that? The Competes oh, Act? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. So the, I mentioned this article earlier in Financial Times. It's called Beijing Winter Olympics, the New Frontline in the U.S.-China Cold War. And in this article, because it's a, a financial newspaper, <laughs> they talk largely about the fight over corporate investment in China and mm -hmm. the U.S. government forcing U.S. companies to all divest from China. And this is part of this process that people call economic decoupling, right? Yep. And here, here's a line in the article. They say, President Joe Biden, whose administration will boycott the Beijing games, has taken a tougher stance than many expected on China over everything from its repression of the Uyghurs to its crackdown on freedom in Hong Kong. A quick, quick note. Look at this propaganda. China's crackdown on freedom in Hong Kong. China hates freedom. It's cracking down on freedom. I mean, it just shows that there's this is just pure propaganda. It's not even subtle. But anyway, and then they add here, 
the Biden administration has also implemented measures that make it harder for Beijing to obtain sensitive U.S. technologies such as semiconductors. And then, they, and then they, they're talking about technology and these companies like Nike and H&M and the campaign to pressure them to, to, to cut all of their investments in China. And then they say here that U.S. House lawmakers are preparing to vote on a sprawling 2,912-page China-related bill. So this is a, a nearly 3,000-page bill. It's called the Competes Act, the America Competes Act, that includes a measure to create a mechanism to screen U.S. investment in China. So what, what, this, what they're really saying is that their strategy now, they quote someone from Human Rights Watch, which is basically an arm of the U.S. government funded by George Soros, who you're not allowed to say his name, but billionaire CIA ally George Soros just, just did this video where he sounds like a zombie. And like, if you can understand, like through his barely intelligible English, he's like, we must defeat Xi Jinping and the Chinese communists. What all of this is heading toward is that it's part of the economic war. They're saying that that all of these companies that sponsored the Beijing Olympics are engaged in genocide. They're complicit in genocide. And the U.S. goal is ultimately all of the U.S. companies leaving China. It seems like that's their strategy, which also is yeah. pretty insane because where are they going to build their iPhones? Like, do they expect them to do that in the U.S.? They would fall apart. Like, so... I mean, what do you think of this America Competes Act and then all of this attempt to get all of these companies to withdraw from China? Yeah, I mean, like this, this actually an idea that has been floating around for a couple of years, even back in during the Trump era. The, the idea is decoupling, to decouple the U.S.-China economy, because the, you know, from the perspective of Pentagon, U.S. and China have been too tightly intertwined economically, and that makes it very messy when they when the conflict arises. Which means when U.S. is gearing up for war with China, you know they have to deal with all these like economic entanglement. So let's preempt that by distangle from China. You know, get the U.S. investment out of the Chinese market, um, cut all the all the economic ties. So that is the idea of the decouple. The decoupling is designed to make the Cold War 2.0 go easier because one of the complaints is that, you know, China is not like this former Soviet Union when, you know, there was very little trade ties between Soviet Union and, and U.S. So it was easier to do all these brinksmanship uh, and, 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 and creating the, the tensions. But, but China is different because, again, you know, we depend on China for for a lot of things and and so they wanted they wanted to to but i think it's a pipe dream i i think ultimately like you said where how is it going to replace china in the supply chain and if anything the covid p uh, epidemic made china even more important because right now because china's zero uh, covid policy China is is holding up single-handedly holding up the supply chain right now, you know, making sure all the goods are still being made and, and shipped on time. And and I I think this is some just like a brain fart from from some US uh, so-called strategic thinkers and I I don't think it's going to pan out. But what is panning out is uh US currently they I I don't know if it's this bill or a different bill they introduced Five, they're gonna spend five hundred million dollars to devoting into media and communication to fight 
so-called disinformation on China. So, so in other words, they just got 500 million funding for to pump out more propaganda in all kind of media channel. I think that maybe maybe that is part of why we're seeing all all kind of this crazy cohort uh, uh, talks about comparing China with Nazi Germany came from. You know, that 500 million dollar is finding its target. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to engage with some of the comments here and, and I'll get your perspective as well, Carl. Here's sure. a comment from Brave New Perth. Perspectives on Russia and Eurasianism, Russia and China's different geopolitical interests within Central Asia and the Caspian Sea, given the Muslim communities. I'll say I think this is really overstated a lot, especially by the people in the West who are really afraid of, the, of this emerging Russian-China alliance, Ru Russian-Chinese alliance. And they, they are looking for all of these slight points of difference. Obviously, China and Russia are not the same country. They have differences. But one of the things that they've been trying to say is, well, look, they're fighting over Central Asia. But actually, if you look at what happened in Kazakhstan with the attempted coup, the attempted color revolution, it's very clear that China and Russia were right on the same page. If you looked at the comments from Xi Jinping and the Chinese government, they, they said that they, they supported the intervention of the collective the CSTU, the Collective Security Treaty Organization, and China praised Russia's uh, rapid response. China has also praised the, the new government in Kazakhstan. And it's very clear that they have an agreement that, you know, they're working together, that all these countries are part of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. All of these countries are part of the Belt and Road Initiative. So, yeah, I mean, China and Russia do have some differences. They do have some a history of border disputes. But my understanding from, from reading different analysis of actual China experts, actual Russia experts, is that those, those differences are exaggerated. And as Carl mentioned earlier, the irony is that it's U.S. aggression constantly that against both of these countries that has forced them together. So, yeah, China and Russia do have differences. I mean, they have differences certainly in system as well. I mean, Russia is not a socialist government. But the reality is that they have much more in common. And because they're both being threatened by the US, NATO, and the EU, it's drawn them together. And, and, and the irony is that, you know, if you share an enemy, sometimes the enemy of the enemy is your friend. And they found that not only do they have shared enemies, they have a lot of shared interests. China is the largest importer of energy in the world. And Russia is one of the largest exporters of energy. And they're, they're neighbors. And they have multiple pipelines. They're now building more pipelines, including the power of Siberia too. China is going to be more and more dependent on Russian oil and gas exports. And Russia is going to be more dependent on exporting and getting the revenue of its gas and oil to China. So yeah, no, no alliance is perfect. There are differences between all countries. But my impression is that those differences are, are pretty exaggerated. I don't yeah, know what you think, I, I, Carl. I agree. I mean, there's a lot of misunderstanding, particularly in the West, about the Russia-China relationship. I mean, people still have their mindset stuck in like the Sino-Soviet split era, right? I mean, people don't understand. China and Soviet Union actually made up in 1989. Like 1989, when is this China-Soviet normalization happened? That's when the Gorbachev visited uh China, visit Deng Xiaoping in Beijing. And ever since 1989, the, you know, from both China, Soviet Union, and then China, Russia, the Soviet successor state, 
relationship have been very very good <laughs> the, the both sides have enjoyed a very good and friendly relationship since then while at the same time their relationship with the u.s have been wor have worsened because of the nato expansion because of the u.s military posture in east asia and china yes china and and russia have different priority right like russian priority is mostly europe a uh, little bit central asia china's priority is mostly east asia but but in uh, they do have a lot of overlapping interests for like the central asia they're mostly a lot of times the china and russia is complementary you know their, their economy is complementary like um like uh, uh, uh ben already pointed out you know china imports energy russia exports energy and and when it comes to Central Asia, it's very clear. China has no interest in taking over kind of as a, a, a the role of a security pro, uh, provider as Russia is. China is mostly in providing investment into Central Asia, whereas Russia is actually providing the security guarantee. And and China is perfectly fine with the arrangement, and Russia is perfectly fine with with the Chinese economic inroad into Central Asia. So, so there's really not much uh, friction or, or dis disagreement there. You know, the, the, the two countries may have different priorities, but at, at this current juncture, there's really not much conflict between the two. Exactly. Yeah. And I, for people who are interested in this, I did a, a video and a podcast episode talking about an article I wrote at multipolarista.com. It's called China and Russia declare new era of multipolarity challenging U.S. interventionism. And it's about this over 5,000 word joint statement released by the Chinese and Russian governments after this historic meeting between President Xi and President Putin in Beijing on the day of the inauguration of the Winter Olympics. And it's basically a manifesto, this yeah. over 5,000 word document. They, they outline their view for creating a new multipolar world, challenging the hegemony and unilateralism of the US NATO order. So, I mean, I did a video in a podcast episode about that, you know, going into depth. And they, they actually address Central Asia in that statement. They address the Eurasian Economic Union. They address the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. They address other institutions of regional integration. So again, no, no alliance is perfect, but they're clearly moving closer and closer together. And the irony is that the more and more that they're attacked by the US and NATO, it only encourages that alliance. And yeah. this is the point, you know, we were talking about economic decoupling earlier. And this is the point that economist Michael Hudson often makes, that the irony is that the more the US and the EU impose sanctions on China and Russia, the more it threatens to remove them from the SWIFT system, the more it threatens to companies to withdraw from China and Russia. It actually encourages them to be more economically self-sufficient, to develop their own industry so they're not as reliant on other corporations, to... Yeah to be more secure in their investments, to diversify their investments. So the, while, the US, while the US pushes for economic decoupling, it's actually strengthening the Chinese and Russian economies. Yes. And th that's where we are now. So, and in a way, US is digging its own grave by, uh, you know, if they're gonna cut off Russia from the SWIFT system, because right now, financial, uh, financial uh, control is one of the key pillars of the US empire. You know, it's finance, military, technology, right? The technology is already coming 
under threat from the the rise of China. Uh, so is military. And then if they're gonna self sabotage themselves by cut trying to trying to use their financial current financial hegemony to impose their will on other countries, what's gonna happen is Russia can just switch to use a RMB as a, uh, as, as to 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 resolve their their border trade between Russia and China, especially when when two increasingly have a larger larger trade between each other. And another point I want to point out is that. China, because it's long-term non-interventionist policy, it actually was perfectly fine with Russia taking a more interventionist muscular foreign policy. Like the example of that is in Syria. Like China provided economic lifeline to Syria while Russia is doing the, you know, all the military heavy lifting by going in and blowing up all the jihadists. So, so they actually work together. Like like China is fine with being the being the uh, kind of the 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 the, the money man <laughs> the, the financier and the, have the Russia take like the front seat into actually sending its troops out. Yeah, yeah. And there's a good comment here from Bauk Jan Duma that points out that uh, Bauke Jan Duma, sorry, I screwed up your name, but uh, they say talk about Blinken's recent plea to Wang Yi, that's the Chinese foreign minister, to intervene in Ukraine. And the answer was that China said, we support Russia. China said the West is trying to, the U.S. specifically is trying to cause a war in Ukraine. The Global Times, which is kind of de facto represents like a kind of certain faction of the Communist Party of China. It's owned by the People's Daily, which is the official organ of the Communist Party of China. They published an article explicitly saying that the U.S. is trying to start a war in Ukraine, even though of all the parties involved, it's the farthest away from Ukraine. So China, I mean, that's, again, another example of China saying that we support Russia. And, and here, thanks to the, all the super chats, thanks to the super chat from Joel Bergmark, who asked, it would seem that there is a propaganda campaign from the U.S. to liberal and state media in Europe. Any thoughts on if and how such a global campaign exists or if it's perception bias? No, I mean, there's, there's no question whatsoever that the propaganda campaign against China is insane i don't know how you can look at any of this stuff i actually just did a video here at this channel multipolarista just laughing at some of the propaganda um carl you're like you're you always follow the the anti-china propaganda like, like like the slow train story recently what what's some of the other really stupid propaganda you've seen against china recently <laughs> okay that that slow train have to you know be up there because the, it, like they they they, they how, how did they put it they say Oh, um, you know, all the rapid rolling out of high-speed rail network in China is uh, is is putting, you know, it's it's a sh well, maybe yeah, <laughs> the vanishing slow trains of China, the time on the ritual of a long slow train journey. No, look, people had a long slow train journey because they had to because. Back then, they had no choice. Nobody wants to take like extra days on the road to in order to see their family. You know, that's not a romantic picture. You know, for for like a very spoiled Western journalist, 
that may be like sounds like a romantic idea to be stuck in the trains for with like thousands of other people pack wall to wall you know like shadi shadi wrote but at what cost carl what at what cost yeah at the, at the cost of getting getting home faster i mean like right now like everybody especially during the new years you know people take trains to reach their home to reach their families you know who who wants to spend extra time on the road you know to stuck on the train this is just just mind-boggling no exactly and it's like no one in the world who has to sit on like a 10-day train is thinking oh i love this i, I would hate to have a fast train where i could no it's 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 just copium it's pure copium I, on, on top of that, slow trains still exist in China. There are still places if you for you. I took. I was in China in 2019. I took the slow train all the way across to China because I have the time <laughs> to spend, and I decided to go for the experience. So, so slow trains still exist, and they, they the Chinese government decided to keep the slow trains running for the people who you know who. For for the people of lower income, so so they can afford it's a that's affordable way to travel. So so both options now you have you you can pay a little more for for high speed train or you know if you don't have much much money you can pay for the slow train. The, it's not it's not like either or, but they're making it sounds like it's a genocide of the slow trains in China. It's ridiculous. Yeah, there's another comment here from Shadi Haza about the the Laos railway, which which yeah. just opened up. And there was all this propaganda about this new railway built in Laos, which is incredible where I'll just play a quick video of this and it's insanely fast, but it's seen as, it's seen as like bad because the propaganda is that Laos is being trapped in debt supposedly to build this rail, this incredibly fast rail. Here, here's a video from CGTN and it's this beautiful, extremely fast train that like, this is in a relatively poor country. The U.S. doesn't even have infrastructure like this. And, and, and on top and, of that, U.S. is the one that bombed Laos, you know, back yeah, exactly. in, during the Vietnam War. Like Laos was one of the most bombed country in the world because, you know, U.S. has has dumped millions of ordnance millions of ordnance in Laos, millions of ordnance are still unexploded. The Chinese engineers, when they built the China-Laos railway, they actually have to spend two years to remove all these uh, all these unexploded mines and, and ordnance on the way in order just to build the railway. And, but but U.S. is the one that's talking about how this is an example of Chinese imperialism. <laughs> I mean, Chinese imperialism is apparently to build a railway. And and the fact that the people don't understand is why would China want to trap Laos? The whole point of China building a rail uh, line through to Laos is to connect to Thailand and rest of uh, rest of Southeast Asia. There's a whole project called the Pan Asian Railway that that you allow you to take trains from China all the way to Singapore. So that is an end goal. Like, what's the point of trapping Laos when you know if the Laos government can just say, hey? We don't want your train no more. We're going to shut down the line and you can't go anywhere. <laughs> the, the, the difference is Laos is actually a sovereign country. Yeah. You know, they can make their own decisions. You know, the, the, like nobody, Chinese government is not pulling a gun to the Laos government's head. Like take my railroad now. and these <laughs> Take loads, these right? fast trains. Yeah. We're going to genocide all of the slow trains in yeah. the world.
<laughs> yeah. That's and the real this... Chinese genocide is they want to genocide all slow trains everywhere <laughs> and replace them with fast ones. Yeah. It, here, here is Chinese imperialism, the evil Chinese imperialism. Here's an article I just published at multipolarista.com. China nice. agrees to help Nicaragua develop infrastructure, hospitals, renewable energy. China, representatives of China and the Sandinista government just signed an agreement this week to develop hospitals, renewable energy, medical equipment, roads, railways, and ports, and also to develop their water I, and I public remember health somebody, somebody wrote something about China been dead trapping uh, Central America with all these, uh, with all these like, uh, like they have a chart, a map of, of all these Chinese hospitals and dams <laughs> and high, and power plants China built. I'm like, you're making China looking good. <laughs> it's like, but this is like, no, this is the map of Chinese debt trap. The the IMF debt traps a country by giving them billions of dollars that that they use to fund all their rich friends and cronies, and it doesn't is not used to actually build anything. And China supposedly, in scare quotes, it debt traps countries by drumroll building hospitals. Or here's another example of horrible Chinese imperialism. China is helping Nicaragua's Sandinista government build houses for poor people. And this is another agreement that they just signed a few weeks ago in which China is going to help expand the Nicaraguan government's public housing program to build houses for poor people. So nice. horrible Chinese imperialism. We, we need some Chinese imperialism in the United States. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. We could so, use that in California. <laughs> exactly. All right. Here, here's another super chat from Brave New Perth. Will Muslims in Central Asia accept Eurasian economic integration given Turkey can support the Crimean Tartars and Uyghurs? Is chaos beyond the horizon? This is a good question. I mean, we, we can't talk about Muslims as one group, right? Like there are there's over a billion Muslims in the world and and the strand, like the variety is of Islam practiced, especially in Central Asia compared to countries like Turkey or the Persian Gulf or Iran. It's all very different, obviously, not just Sunni and Shia, but also like, you know, there's a lot of varieties within Sunni Islam. And in Central Asia, my, my understanding is that a lot of it tends to be very secular. Like they're Muslims, but a lot of them tend to be much more secular Muslims because of their experience in the Soviet Union. And, and so, yeah, there are extremist groups who, that Turkey has been exploiting. And in fact, the allegations made by Russia and China are that there were the Salafi jihadi extremist groups involved in the Kazakhstan coup attempt this January, and that allegedly some of them were speaking Arabic, which suggests that Turkey may have sent over some jihadis from Syria, just as they did in the Nagorno-Karabakh war against Armenia, the, the, the war over Artsakh and, and Armenia. So it's, it's in between Armenia and Azerbaijan. So it's possible that Turkey will support some of these extremist groups. But my understanding is that they have very little influence, especially in Central Asia. And that actually the whole reason that the Shanghai Cooperation Organization was originally created, it actually wasn't created for economic integration. The reason the Shanghai Cooperation Organization was created was to fight what they call the three evils, which are extremism, separatism, and fundamentalism, I think, right? Terrorism, Our, yeah, I think. Terrorism. terrorism, yeah. And that's, so actually the Shanghai Cooperation Organization was originally created as, as a, a, a block to counter extremism. 
And it's become more and more of, of a form of economic integration. So, I mean, th that's my analysis. I don't know if you agree with that, Carl. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, when you talk about Eurasian economic integration, there's not just one model. There's like different countries have their own idea of this Eurasian economic integration. You know, for China, it's Belt and Road. For, for Russia, they have, you know, the kind of, they have the customer union, right? Uh, and and uh, Turkey... Turkey's role in Central Asia, I would say, have diminished since 1990s because uh, during 1990s, at the collapse of Soviet Union, Turkey did move in, and because their uh, economic, because their ethnic and linguistic ties to Central Asia, and because they're relatively uh, affluent compared to the Central Asian nation, they did wield a certain level of influence. But today, I mean. China and Russia has way more influence in Central Asia than Turkey, and and I I, I don't think uh, you know Turkey is not much of a factor there. Here's another comment. Thank you again for all the super chats. Um, this is from Joel Bergmark again. Let me rephrase. I work for Huawei. Oh, okay. So Chinese Chinese Communist Party agent here. No, no, but uh, <laughs> no, but cool. Very cool to, to hear from someone who works for Huawei, and he says it's easy to see the propaganda. But it seems coordinated and tied to U.S. interests. If so, it must be traceable and possible to expose the mechanism orchestrating it. Great, great comment. Great point. First of all, absolutely. I mean, all you have to do is look at where these so-called stories are coming from. And usually they're fed to the media by U.S. intelligence. So, yeah. I mean, there's so many examples of that in coverage of China and, and Russia, where it's all these anonymous CIA officials and, and whoever and British intelligence officials. But also, I think you can also clearly see that these corporate media outlets do have investors. They have corporate investors, some of whom are competing with Chinese companies, especially companies like Huawei. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that it's clear that there's traceable networks of propaganda. Go ahead, Carl. Huawei in particular case, because Huawei is one of the Chinese tech companies that's starting to challenge the U.S. tech hegemony, and for example, you know, like the before Huawei and other Chinese phone makers are basically based on the Android model, right? And and you know, Android is owned by Google, but Huawei out started to doing research to do their Harmony OS, and they're starting to branch into the chip design. So that's eating into the pie of the U.S. tech giants like Google, right? And like Google. Um, Eric Schmidt, actually, the former CEO of Google, is is at the forefront of pushing for all these kind of economic sanctions, including the the the, the semiconductor uh, chip bans, you know, against Huawei, against China. So so yes, definitely, there's there's um uh, you know when I came to United States in 1990s, I remember there were at least two camps in U.S. There's a pro containment camp and pro engagement camp, and it was very clear that pro containment camp was sponsored by the Pentagon and all the military uh, intelligence uh, complex. And the pro-engagement camp is is basically the U.S. business lobby who wanted to go to China, exploit labor, exploit Chinese market. But now we're in 2022. And what happened is with the rise of Chinese economy, when China started to climb the, climb the, the, the ladder of productivity, they firms like Huawei starting to challenge the U.S. tech hegemony, and that is unacceptable. And if you look at the U.S. S and P 500, 
you know, a huge percentage of that is just the big five, right? That, you know, it's just, it's just Google, <laughs> Facebook, uh, you know, uh, 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 Apple, you know, like they, they, which are all Pentagon contractors exactly. and CIA contractors too. Exactly. Exactly. They all work very closely with the U S government. So, so now that's why now the you pretty much don't see the pro engagement campaign in U S anymore. It's all like pro containment, all pro like decoupling. And, and that's why we're getting this into this cold war 2.0 situation. Yeah, here's another comment from Joel Bergman, which is pretty incredible. He says, even state TV in Sweden do, does things that are so absurd. And, and since January 1st, we have a, quote, Ministry of Psychological Defense in Sweden <laughs> that is a pure propaganda agency. No, I mean, it, it shows exactly it shows exactly what the modus operandi is, is, is more and more propaganda, more brainwashing with this kind of like Orwellian Ministry of Truth and by the way, speaking of Sweden, we also see Sweden talking more and more about joining NATO. And of course, not just the anti-China propaganda, but the anti-Russia propaganda, which, as we said earlier, just keeps pushing China and Russia together. I mean, it's really incredible. I mean, the Obama administration, they, they recognized that they were trying to reach out to Russia and have better relations with Russia. And then the Trump administration and Steve Bannon clearly... Mm -hmm. That's why they were so attacked for being supposedly Russian agents is it was an attempt by the intelligence agencies to prevent them from normalizing with Russia, which ironically, that actually just nailed. It was the final nail in the coffin of U.S. hegemony because Russiagate prevented the, the Trumpists wanted to try to form an alliance with Russia against China. That was their strategy. Steve Bannon said it openly. And it, of course, it was pie in the sky because Putin was not going to go along with that. But yeah. there are people in the Kremlin who are more pro-Russian, excuse me, pro-Western, the West, yeah, who who would like to ally with with NATO against China. But that's just not going to happen at this point. Russia Gate destroyed that. This whole thing now with Ukraine trying to sabotage the Nord Stream two pipeline, they've done everything they can to push Russia and China together, and that's why there's so much propaganda now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like the. Sweden is one of those weird country because uh, you know it's apparently one of the more anti-China country. At first, I didn't understand why that is because Sweden is so far from China and it has no kind of any kind of security uh, threat from China. But then I realized, okay, it's because I guess because Sweden is anti-Russia and. And because Russia and China are moving closer together, so so to be anti-Russia, that means you have to be also anti-China, which is a really weird logic. Because uh, you know, even given the crazy thing that going on in Ukraine, China is actually friend have a pretty friendly relationship with both Russia and Ukraine, right? But Sweden is the one that decided, no, I'm gonna go with the NATO. Right? I'm gonna go hundred percent jump on the NATO ship. It's it's just absurd. Well, I want to be sensitive of Carl's time because he's in Indonesia and it's really late there. So we'll start going to start wrapping up in the next few minutes. I'm going to I want to thank all of the super chats. Martin Rad, thank I appreciate the kind words about me and about Carl. I mean, Carl's a genius, so it's always very fun having him on, an actual China expert. As as we wrap up here, Carl, um, thanks to Matthew Rains for the super chat. Thanks to F Liu. Thanks to Red Pill, who wrote Love, Peace, Freedom, and Happiness. So great things to hope for. As we, as, in the next five, 10 minutes as we wrap up here, Carl, I want to ask about uh, 
Indonesia, I mean, if you don't mind talking about it, you know, you because you on social media, you talk a lot about being in Indonesia. I know that Indonesia and China have pretty good relations and that Indonesia is leaning more toward China and the new Cold War. What are things like in terms of the new Cold War we're talking about? What are things like in Southeast Asia right now? So Indonesia is actually an interesting case because the current Indonesian government is pretty friendly with China. But the Indonesian military has a traditional tie with the United States and CIA. You know, that's this is the, 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 the same people that were did the 1966, 1965 coup and, and, and purged the country of communism. And genocide. Yes, and genocide. That's the CIA backed. Yeah, some of those are people are still there and they still have U.S. ties. And you, in fact, the current uh, defense chief in uh, Indonesia have been visiting United States, you know, like, uh, you know, U U.S. is working and are still putting its tentacles into Indonesia. But the civilian government in Indonesia, uh, you know, since the overthrow of the dictator uh, uh, Suharto has been pretty pretty friendly with China. And there's a lot of Chinese economic project going on in the country. One of the biggest is uh, the high-speed rail network. <laughs> they're building a high... China is building... More a genocide of slow trains. Yes. They're building a high-speed rail between uh, Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia, to Bandung on Java. So so like they, the planned completion date is 2022, end of 2022 this year. Uh, it might be, be delayed because of pandemic, but uh, oh, but I'm pretty sure Indonesia is going to have high-speed rail running before United States ever does. <laughs> so that's that's where we are right now. <laughs> Indonesia is going to have a high-speed rail before United States. M more Chinese genocide of slow trains. It's yeah. Well, I think this is a good comment to end on here from Peace Hippie Trollster. Keep up the awesome work, comrades. You can see this is obviously a a Communist Party of China bot agent because <laughs> they use comrades. This, this no. is how, how chi Chinese government keep us funded by these like $5 yeah. donations, right? $5, $5 super chat donations yeah. on YouTube from Australia. Yeah. All right. Well, Carl, where can people find your work if they want to get more of your great, great content from the, the real China expert? Well, you can you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my my name is just Car Carl Zha, spelled the way that's here. Carl Zha, one one word on Twitter, and uh, I also have a, a podcast called the Silk and Steel Cut Podcast by Carl Zha. So you you can find um you can uh, you can find my I I have a Patreon page, so that's how I am supported right now. Basically, you know, I'm able to live. Allow me to live in Indonesia and support my family. Uh, check out my Patreon. In addition to all the the Chinese government propaganda money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're 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 cutting me checks in like five dollar donations, uh, Patreon donations every month. And and so yeah, yeah, come check out my Patreon content, support me. Um, you know, or just just check out my YouTube channel. Check out my YouTube channel. Check my uh, check out my uh, I have YouTube channel. Check out my Twitter. Uh, I put my free stuff on YouTube and I also put my free content on on all kind of uh, podcasting platform like iTunes, Spotify. You can find Silk and Steel. Yeah. Yeah. And if people are watching this on YouTube, I have links to his Patreon and his Twitter below in the YouTube. And also if people want to, I don't really use Twitch, but I do stream all of these on Twitch. So if you want to go over to Twitch, 
to watch these streams, which I do at least once a week, you can go over to twitch.tv slash multipolarista and you can find this stream. You can find my past streams. So that's twitch.tv. How, how, how are people watching this stream right now? I think they're mostly on YouTube, the vast majority. Oh, but, you're, you're streaming on YouTube. Yeah. Right now. But, okay. Okay. Got it. But I'm also on Twitch. And for people who want to follow over at Rockfin, you can go to rockfin.com slash Benjamin Norton. And I'm streaming this over there as well. So nice. at Rockfin, at Twitch, and at YouTube. And like I said, you should go and check out Carl Carl's great podcast. I've learned a lot from it. And we'll see you all next time. I, I, it's pretty late there in Indonesia, so I think Carl wants to go to bed. So thank you so much for, for joining us. Thanks for, for speaking about all these you know, dumb Western propagandists. It was fun making fun of them, Carl. Yeah. Well, we should do it again. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, I'll have, you, I'll have you again soon. Yeah, Great. awesome. All right. All right. See you, everyone. Good night, people.